Yes, my name is Reverend Dogara Rafael Gwana. I pastor in North Central Nigeria. Um, in my part of the country, it's rewarding being a Christian, but it comes with a risk. Um, bearing the name Christ comes with a major risk because the predominant religion within the northern part of Nigeria is Islam, and the allocation of resources, freedom of movement, freedom of expression, freedom to own land, freedom to be in position in government, all comes with the challenge of identity. If you have declared identity with Jesus, then you are relegated against, you are segregated against, you are discriminated against. And um, most of the times you don't get things that ordinarily should come to you. And in the end, your life is being haunted almost as that of a game. Of course, operating with the consciousness of the Great Commission, knowing that it is on our shoulders to take the gospel beyond our environment and take it to the hinterlands, we prepare ourselves thoroughly in facing the risk that is facing us every day. First of all, we know that from the day you give your life to Christ, you have chosen to deny who you are, to deny yourself and carry the cross. Number two, Jesus is the supreme example. Jesus laid down his life for us. He, every day of Jesus' life was risky, and he took it to the cross. Number three, beyond Jesus, you see examples in scripture, the apostle Paul and several other apostles, even in contemporary history, people are giving up themselves every day for the gospel, and knowing what the scripture says, the rewards that await those who serve faithfully despite the challenges of life. These are assurances. And lastly, knowing that we are not alone in this, men and women all over the world are standing by and with us. With this, we face risks without fear. Drawing from the biblical stories and biblical perspective on the subject of risk, the supreme example that you take is Jesus Christ himself. What did he say to us? He said, in the world, you will face tribulation. You will face persecution. Then he said, cheer, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We have a consciousness that this world is not permanent, it's temporal. We have a consciousness of a traveler. We have a consciousness of a pilgrim upon the earth. And we know that at the end, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. This gives every Christian within my environment the courage to face whatever he is facing, knowing that at the end of the day, we are more than conquerors. This is what the scripture says. The devil cannot have the final say. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Every risk that I take on daily basis is worth taking because in the first place, I died. The very day I received Christ. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 3, the Bible says, I died and my life is hid with Christ 
in God. You are not coming into a life that is full of roses. You are coming into a life that is full of swords and your life is threatened on daily basis. But your life is hid in God. Yes, of course, the rewards are worth the risk for the simple reason that the rewards are eternal. Every risk I face upon the earth is a temporal risk. You can only kill the flesh. You cannot touch the spirit. I have an eternal life awaiting me. And everyone who comes to Christ has an eternal life awaiting him. It becomes a problem facing the risk when you think that Christianity is meant for this world, that everything about life is here. I have an assurance of the resurrection morning and I look up to it. And so every risk that I face on daily basis, my heart is fixed. It cannot be moved by anything. Yes, what is my advice to those who are in Christ and they are facing risks? As long as you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what environment you live in, doesn't matter what culture you live in, you are facing risks every day. While some of us are facing the risks of the sword, some other people are facing cultural risks, the risks of postmodernism, the risks of relativism, the risks of religious pluralism. All of these things are threatening our faith. But can I say to you, have an eternal view of your faith. Have an eternal view of your salvation. Have an understanding that your life is not for the here and the now. Your life transcends the present. Your life transcends what you see. Your life is built up in the Lord Jesus who lives eternally. And therefore, if you have that understanding, you will withstand every culture. You will withstand every suggestions of the devil. You will be able to stand every sword that is facing your life. My encouragement to everyone that is facing any form of risk today is to have an eternal view of your salvation in Christ. God bless you. Hello, my name is Dr. Tom McKechnie. By training, I'm an emergency medicine physician here in Louisville, Kentucky, and also an ordained minister here at Southeast Christian Church, the site of this year's Global Mission Health Conference 2020. I'm also the president and founder of Teach to Transform, and our mission statement is that we will equip our partners with vocational and medical skills that will open doors to share the gospel. We've also focused only on unreached people groups. And this leads us into very difficult areas with uh, high persecution and also now the pandemic. So we get asked the question, how do you deal with the fear of going into these difficult areas? I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Ryan Hotta, my partner and vice president of Teach to Transform, who will discuss the biblical perspective and philosophy of Teach to Transform as we engage these unreached people groups in the highest persecuted areas in the world. Ryan? Well, thank you, Tom, for the introduction, and thank you to all the people in the audience for joining us today. I'd also like to thank our partner, Pastor Dogara, for that inspirational video. He's truly a wise man with a great perspective on the topic of risk. I'd like to go ahead and open this up in prayer, so if we could all bow our heads, Father God, we come before you humbly and thankfully and lift this presentation to you, God. Would your Holy Spirit please speak to our hearts and minds as we encounter this topic of risk. Lord, we thank you that we could serve you through this time. And Lord, we thank you that we could join together through this technology, even though we couldn't be face to face. 
Lord, we thank you, we praise you for all that you are, all that you have done. We ask that we use this information and this presentation to glorify you and to further your kingdom. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, really an, an incredible and unprecedented time, and this is a very unique format. Um, a little bit about myself. My name is Ryan Hata. I'm an emergency medicine physician here in Louisville, Kentucky, and I've been with Teach to Transform for about five years. In that time, I've had the honor and the privilege of serving in several countries alongside many incredible people. In this presentation, we'll be discussing the topic of risk, and this is a topic with broad application across nearly every aspect of life and ministry. I hope that you'll find this presentation to be not only educational, but also practical for any service in which you're called. A little disclaimer, I may not be the best person to speak on this. In fact, I would bet that many people in the audience have had experiences and training that far surpass mine. But that being said, I hope that this presentation provides you with an understanding of the multifaceted concepts and practical application of how we can approach risk with a kingdom mindset. Another brief disclaimer, I have never done a PowerPoint presentation like this, a recorded PowerPoint presentation, so please bear with me if I fumble over my words, and I really appreciate your grace. The goals of this presentation will be to build a foundation for discernment and a blueprint for stewardship in an increasingly hostile world. Our objectives are as follows. Why should we care about risk? What is the big why? In other words, why do we care about this particular topic? We want to understand the concepts of risk perception, risk assessment, and risk mitigation. We also want to understand the decision process from the perspective of a believer. We're going to explore scriptural examples of risk. We're going to discuss risk management for modern day ministries. And we're also going to touch on the unique risks and opportunities of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like to start out with a case scenario. And I usually start out with a case scenario because this helps us to better contextualize our topic. These are all real situations that we've encountered in the field, and we'll use several case scenarios as we move forward. While the situations are drawn from real experience, I hope that they will encompass a more broad application as every situation and every context is unique. Regarding this particular scenario, well, this is a risky situation. You're serving in a city near an area of conflict and have plans to visit another city five hours to the north. The route will take you through hostile territory and your in-country host tells you that the road to the city is notorious for ambushes, kidnappings, and robberies. We'll revisit this later in the presentation, but at this time, consider the risks. Risk is a concept that necessarily entails at least four components. A situation, a danger, a decision, and an outcome. Each one of these components is composed of dynamic variables, and it's through these components that we contextualize risk. By having a biblical framework through which we view risk, we can develop a solid foundation for understanding and interacting with these ever-changing variables. Every situation has unique risks, and every changing situation leads to change in risk. Dangers may be known, they may be unknown, they may be static or dynamic. They may be a danger to yourself or to other people, and they may be catastrophic or negligible. These dangers may be immediate and impact you instantaneously, or they may be far-reaching far into the future. The decision process is a key point in any risk scenario, and we'll discuss this in depth later. 
Outcomes are often viewed through the lens of loss versus reward. In some scenarios, the loss may be greater than any possible reward, and in others, the reward will far outweigh the risks. Approximately 70 million believers have been martyred over the centuries. Over 45 million have died in the 20th century alone. And yet, in Matthew 16, 10, 16, we're commanded to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, for we're going to be sent out as sheep among wolves. So understanding, assessing, and mitigating risk is a component of wisdom that relates to dangerous situations. To ignore risk is not wise, but foolish. According to U.S. Uh, excuse me to Open Doors USA, in 2020, over 260 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. Nearly 3,000 Christians have been killed for their faith, and nearly 9,500 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked. Over 3,700 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And these are in areas that are often the most populated by unreached and unengaged people groups, the very people we're trying to get, get to. While often the most risky environments, they're also the environments that need the gospel the most and are ripe for harvest. In short, following Jesus is not a safe endeavor. As believers, we will be exposed to disdain, dislike, hate, danger, persecution, and even death. Currently, we're living in one of the most persecuted times for believers in history, and anywhere we go in the world, we will be experiencing some level of adversity to the gospel. This is not surprising, and we are called to wisdom and perseverance in the face of adversity. It's important to understand the difference between risk and suffering. I like this quote from Dr. Anna Hampton. In risk situations we have not suffered yet, risk is the threat of persecution the threat of suffering, the threat of death. Risk asks the question of whether I am called to move or continue to move into a place of danger or if Christ calls me to move to a place of safety. Risk occurs before suffering. And while we cannot control how, when, or from where the suffering will come, we must be wise in how we interact with these potentially dangerous situations so to, uh, so to maximize our witness. By having a biblical framework to understand risk, it helps us to avoid unnecessary suffering for ourselves and our fellow believers. Understanding the risks of a situation does not mean we run from suffering. It means we understand the danger and we count the costs of our decisions. Having a solid spiritual and biblical understanding of risk is vital as it precludes supplements and undergirds the theology of suffering. If we have a firm grasp of the nature of risk, then when suffering comes, we can have further peace that we did not act recklessly, but rather stewarded our talents wisely. And dying on the field does not make you a martyr. Dying, becoming injured, or causing the injury or death of another person because you ignored or minimized a risky situation is not the same as dying for your faith. This is not to say that sacrifice in the service of the Lord is not valuable, but rather to point out that we are commanded to carry our cross and to die to ourselves, not die because we did something foolish. Let's talk a little bit about risk perception. So our experiences in education, our preparation, all contribute to our perception of risk. And this is an example. So before 1886, there were no motor vehicle crashes, no costs, no injuries, and no deaths due to motor vehicle crashes. Why? Well, the 
answer is pretty obvious. There were no cars, so they didn't exist. So we didn't have any context to look at this particular risk, okay? So if you had never driven and never seen a motor vehicle, how could you possibly understand the risks of motor vehicles, okay? But now in our world, we see them and encounter cars all the time. And in fact, that changes our perception and our experience changes our perception. So if you've driven and have never been in an accident, then your perception of risk may be moderate, it may be low. You may think it doesn't really happen to me. Conversely, if you have driven and been in a very serious accident or several accidents, your perception of risk by accident or of risk of an accident may be high. So your experience often changes your perception. Another example is one that is near and dear to probably many of our hearts now and that is the uh, experience of masks. The gentleman on the left here, if he were to come up to you in 2019, you might perceive that as a fairly risky situation. A gentleman coming up to you with a bandana over his face. Is he gonna rob me? What does he want? Now in 2020, on the right side of this slide, everybody has a mask. If you walk into Walmart or Kroger, almost everybody has a mask. And so we don't perceive wearing a mask as a, risk, as a risky uh, thing now. In fact, if you saw the person on the left and he didn't have a mask and he was coming towards you and he started coughing, you might say, oh, that's, that's the risky situation. So risk is very heavily dependent on our situation and our experience. Let's talk about risk assessment. So while there are several different ways to assess risk, these are the classical steps of risk assessment. First, you wanna identify the danger. Then you, then you want to identify who might be harmed. You want to assess the risks and implement the mitigation strategies that you may have in place. And then you want to record your findings and review these findings. But each situation, organization, and person is different, and it requires its own nuanced risk assessment. This is just an example of the sort of five classical steps in risk assessment. I tend to like to look at risk assessment through this matrix because it's a more, uh, it's an easier way for me to visualize it. So on the left, you have your y-axis which is your likelihood or your probability of encountering a dangerous situation. And on the x-axis on the bottom there, you have your consequence of that dangerous situation. Obviously, if you have a uh, low risk, you're gonna have a remote possibility of encountering and most likely minor or negligible consequence. Conversely, if you have a high risk, you're going to have a potential critical or catastrophic consequence and a very high likelihood of encountering that particular situation. This is pretty uh, self-evident, I believe, in this matrix. But let's use a case scenario to better understand the dynamic nature of dangerous situations. So you're driving, or I'm sorry, you're serving in a developing country with minimal local or national security, and, you're pl and you plan to minister in a remote mountainous area, and it takes three hours over difficult roads to travel to the village. So our initial risk perception, or risk perception and assessment kind of goes something like this. We have a fairly long car ride over rough terrain. So our primary risk is going to be a car crash. So some of the things that we might think of is, well, you know, if it's, if it's a remote area, maybe there aren't a lot of drivers, so our likelihood of getting in a car crash is fairly low. It's a rough road. Maybe it's, you know, our likelihood might be in the unlikely to likely, probably more of an unlikely scenario just all things considered. And what's the consequence? Well, it could be anywhere from minor to catastrophic. 
but most car wrecks don't end catastrophically. So our risk is probably somewhere in the minor to critical, unlikely. So we're in the low to medium range here. But keep in mind, motor vehicle collisions are actually the leading cause of death for overseas missionaries. So they may be more risky than we initially perceive. Driving may seem like a low risk endeavor, but driving can be one of the highest risk activities. In our, uh, in our ministry, we always get local drivers who are familiar with the customs, the laws, and the roads because this helps to decrease the risk for catastrophic motor vehicle collisions. Uh, in some situations, that's impossible, and so you have to assume the risk uh, of that, and that does increase your probability of encountering a dangerous situation. But now the situation changes here. So while you're driving to the village, you suddenly come upon a roadblock. Ding, ding, ding. That should set off some serious red flags right there. Within seconds, your vehicle is surrounded by a dozen armed men with clubs, machetes, and guns. Wow, that changed quickly. And now you are no longer in a remote or unlikely scenario. You are now past the near certain all the way to a certain scenario. So you are certainly in, your probability is certain that you are now going to encounter a threat. The question just is now how serious is the consequence? I would argue that armed men surrounding your car has major consequence. If they intend to harm you, you're probably not gonna have a lot to say about that. So your consequence is critical to catastrophic. You are automatically now instantaneously in a high risk situation. And I wanna use this to highlight another thing. Checkpoints in airports Customs and especially roadblocks are very high-risk situations. It's very important to be aware of your environment and to be aware of what you say and what you don't say, what you do and what you don't do. In these situations, it's very important to have a designated and experienced person do the talking. You don't want to have somebody who doesn't know the environment or the area trying to talk to somebody like this. It can only exacerbate the problem. It also highlights that leaders should be in the front and back of all groups, especially when you're going through checkpoints, and that includes airport, airport, check, airport checkpoints. Leaders help to pave the way if there's any things that need to be said, and they also help to keep the group uh, together. So checkpoints are very high-risk situations, as are motor vehicle uh, uh, collisions. Now I want to discuss threats, probabilities, this visual diagram just helps to illustrate how these concepts of threats, probabilities, targets, and warning signs interact. Being a soft target in the middle of a high threat, high probability situation with multiple warning signs is an extremely high risk situation. This is not really the place you want to be if you can avoid it. So back to our case scenarios. Your serving in a Muslim-majority country with a known terror organization presence. Your ministry site is five miles from the residence, and, your fast, and the fastest way to get to your ministry site is to drive through a Muslim-predominant neighborhood. So let's talk about these four different things. Uh, so what are the threats to you and your team? Well, you could certainly argue that car accidents is a threat, but in this particular scenario, we're going to take the terror organization as your primary threat. So encountering a terror organization could lead to kidnapping, attack, murder, all kinds of bad stuff. What are the probabilities of encountering this threat? Well, they're maybe moderate to high, depending on if the terror organization is in that Muslim predominant neighborhood. 
are you a hard or a soft target? You're a very soft target. Most foreigners are soft targets, especially missionaries and foreign travelers. What are the warning signs? Have there been recent attacks, rumors of attacks, or specific threats? Are you watching for these kind of things? So now that we've identified these four components, let's see if we can change any of them. Can you change the threat to you and your team? Well, probably not. It would be very difficult to uh, engage the terrorist organization and ask them to not attack you. That probably would not be a good idea. So you're not really gonna change the threat per se. Maybe, but it'd be very difficult. Can you change your probability of encountering this threat? Absolutely. How? Well, you could divert around the neighborhood and find a safer route. Um, you could avoid going anywhere where you know there might be terror organization presence. So that is you know, something that you could do to decrease your probability. Are you a hard or a soft target? Well, you're a soft target, and can you change this? Absolutely. This is one of the things that you can change. How can you change it? Well, if you're in a vehicle, you need to get blacked out windows where people cannot see into the vehicle. It's important to dress in local clothing because Americans and other Westerners tend to stick out like sore thumbs in many cultures. It's important to stay indoors and away from people. So don't, uh, you know, it'd probably not be in your best interest to be wandering around the streets where people can observe you, but move directly from your vehicle to the uh, place where you're going to be ministering as soon as possible. It's very important not to break up the team. Don't have different people wandering off in different directions where they can be observed or seen. And then one very simple thing that you could do is to vary your routes to and from the ministry site as, so that you can become unpredictable, so that they cannot get an easy idea when you're going to be in a certain area. And then the warning signs. Again, do you have defined warning signs? Do you have a watchman? Have you dedicated somebody to keep an eye out for these warning signs? And one thing is that warning signs tend to be very culturally specific. So it is important to use your host or people who are knowledgeable about the culture to identify warning signs. Uh, warning signs are sometimes very subtle and as a foreigner we may not have the cultural experience to understand what these warning signs actually are uh, and, we, and therefore we won't see them. So it's important to, to lean on your host in this regard. And then what strategies would you have in place if these warning signs become present? How would you try and exit out of this situation? So let's talk a little bit about risk mitigation. There are four basic strategies in risk mitigation, acceptance, avoidance, transference, and reduction. And this picture is a picture of yours truly, and I'm getting ready to go into a COVID-19 patient's room and perform an intubation, which is a fairly high risk situation. Now I'm not smiling because I'm happy, I'm smiling because I'm excited that the, uh, the PAPR device, which is the respiratory or the respirator device fits in this situation. But you can see that I'm gowned, I'm gloved, I have my uh, respirator on, and I'm ready, I'm ready to go into that room. And so what I've done there is risk reduction. I haven't done any of the things uh, like acceptance. I have not just accepted risk uh, unduly without any precaution. Um, I have not avoided the risk. I didn't run away from the risk. I didn't transfer it off to my colleague and say, hey, will you go please intubate this patient? Uh, I did uh, what is considered risk reduction, which is employing specific actions to reduce my exposure to the danger. Well, these are four of your basic strategies in risk mitigation, but really mitigation takes place in two phases. So you have four basic strategies, but you have two phases. The first phase is the pre-planning phase. So in this situation, 
I know that the COVID-19 patient come in, is coming into the hospital and I know that they're going to need to be intubated. I heard the ambulance uh, call, so I knew that. So I began my pre-planning phase, which is where I put on my papper and all my gloves and my gown, and I was ready to go in this situation. So pre-planning or pre-mission precautions and preparation are often static, and they involve specific plans and procedures for possible danger events. Um, some examples in the mission world would be bringing medications or medical equipment. For example, if you're traveling to a malaria endemic area, bringing malaria medication or prophylaxis would be appropriate risk mitigation strategies. What about having money on hand in case there's a rams ransom if you're going to an area where kidnappings are high uh, or you think you may be robbed or mugged? What about having an escape route in a terror or conflict prone area? or keeping females covered in areas where culturally it's inappropriate for women to be seen. So there are a lot of different risk uh, mitigation strategies that you can take in the pre-planning phase of any mission. Now, when you get on the ground, there's the danger situation strategies. These are, these are the, this is the phase when you uh, are actually encountering the danger. And these are often dynamic and occur in the danger moment. They're reactive, they're chaotic, they're often heavily influenced by emotion. Um, an example in this particular scenario where I'm in this, uh, where I'm going into the COVID-19 patient's room is, sure, I can plan for it and put all of this garb on and try and mitigate risk, but what happens if I, when I get in the room and there is a particular situation where I notice the patient has some problem with their airway that I was not in, anticipating? Well, all of a sudden now I need to shift into the danger situation strategy. And this is again dynamic and it occurs in the actual moment. So these example, examples of this in the mission world would be running into a checkpoint, like one of our previous examples, getting questioned at the airport by a government official, being robbed or assaulted, or if a team member goes missing or is being surveilled, or if you're involved in some type of a terrorist attack or caught in a conflict. Those would be your danger situation strategies. But regardless, all of these mitigation strategies can apply in the different scenarios. Let's use some biblical examples to look at risk mitigation. So in Acts 22, 25 through 29, Paul is arrested and he's about to be flogged. But Paul employs a risk reduction strategy. He's a Roman citizen. So he uses his status as a Roman citizen to reduce his risk of punishment. He's already facing the danger, and there was no guarantee that he would get out of it, but he successfully was able to use, it to his, use this to his advantage to avoid flogging and death. In our second example on the right here, we have Elijah. Well, Elijah's looking a little bit downtrodden because he just ran away from Jezebel and is sitting in the desert. So Jezebel threatened to kill Elijah after Elijah did away with all the prophets of Baal, but Elijah ran from Jezebel after she threatened his life. So he used a risk avoidance strategy, which was a very effective strategy until God told him he needed to go back. But he did initially use that risk avoidance strategy, so that tended to work. Let's look at two other examples. And this was, uh, this, these examples um, we're going to look at through the, the context of our relationship with, with Christ. By accepting Christ's finished work on the cross and by confessing him as our Lord and Savior, our risk of judgment and our risk of eternal separation from God was transferred to Jesus. So we employed a risk transference. When we accept Christ, we actually give our sin, but also our risk of all these bad things happening to Christ. And what did Christ do? He accepted them. 
Christ accepted the risk of our judgment and punishment. He knowingly endured the beating, the crucifixion, and death on our behalf. And making the decision. So ultimately we have to make a decision. And I love this uh, quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, time is short, eternity is long. It is the time of decision. Some of you may have seen this or heard of this concept before. It is called the OODA loop. Okay, and it stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. And these four, uh, these four things are uh, ways in which you move through a decision process. First, you observe. What is it that you observe? You observe your environment, and then you orient. That's the data gathering. So you observe, and then you orient and gather the data, and then with that data, you make a decision. With that decision, you then act on your decision. You then observe how that decision impacted the environment reorient and regather data and then make further decisions and then act again and this is a never-ending continuous loop that that is used in a dynamic dangerous situation it's a never-ending process this was developed by fighter pilots who have to make high high level decisions in high threat environments at a very very fast pace at Mach 2 they have to make life and death decisions and so this was this is a, uh, something that pilots use uh, in the military but I'd like to take our own little spin on this, and I call this the OOP-de-loop, which you can use that. That's my own little kind of made-up thing. But it stands for observe. Again, we observe our, our environment. We orient, we gather the data, and we, and we start to process that. And then what do we do? We take it to God. We take it to the Holy Spirit. We take it to the Father and say, Lord, help me with this decision. What should I do with this? And then we decide, and then we act, and then we observe. And then we orient, and then we pray, God, I'm doing this again. I'm now at a different phase. What do I do? How do I decide to make, how do I make the next decision? What should I do? And then you act. And when you pray, and these don't have to be long prayers. They can be very, very quick prayers. Just lift it up to God with this information. When you pray, you press into God and listen to the Holy Spirit. Because we have a powerful advocate and guide in the Holy Spirit. And we have incredible peace knowing Christ and understanding his word. Decisions are often surrounded by emotion. So emotions play a significant role in our decision-making. Emotions are God-given, just like our intellect. And they're used to be, they should be used to glorify God. There is often a tension between psychology and the spirit. Emotion and intellect, faith and fear. If we seek the Lord when we grapple with risk, we draw near to God. And Philippians 4, 6 through 7 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So emotions play a significant role in our decision-making. So let's go back to the beginning, to our scenario, and look at some practical examples of risk management in modern-day ministry, balancing reason and hope. So... In our first scenario, if you recall at the beginning of this presentation, you're serving in a high-risk country and have plans to visit another city. Your in-country host tells you that the road to the city is notorious for ambushes, kidnappings, and robberies. In risk situations, there is the tension of intellect and emotion, both of which are God-given. Acting in pure emotion can lead us to become blind to where God is moving and may put us in danger. 
but acting with pure intellect can lead us into inaction or make us deaf to what God is saying and put us in danger. So you can see that on the left in this little seesaw, you have wisdom, planning, and preparation or intellect. And on the right, you have spirit, courage, and faith. Often we perceive these as our emotions. If we lean too heavily on one, then we can fall into danger and risk is the balance between those two things. So, excuse me. So in this story, this was a true story of our trip, one of our trips to Nigeria. So we were going to Kano, which is in the north of Nigeria. This road that we were going to take was nicknamed the Suicide Road by the locals because there were so many kidnappings, ambushes, and, and robberies. But our team had, pre had prepared for months. We had taken incredible precautions. We had prepared for the risks by relying on our partners, having armed security during our travel, and training in a secure, safe location. So we employed risk reduction strategies. The opportunity presented itself to go to Kano in the north, and we were very excited about going this, and we prepared, and, and we really thought this was where God wanted us to go. We had an incredible opportunity uh, to partner and minister in the northern part in a very Muslim-predominant area. But this would take us through uh, areas that were uh, heavily um, patrolled by ISIS and Boko Haram and the Fulani herdsmen. So we, we, you know, we knew that, but we had done a lot of preparation. Two days before we were supposed to, I'm sorry, the day before, the day before we were, no, two days, excuse me, two days before we were supposed to go, we had our prayer and devotion. And during that, God spoke through one of our team, mem team members and warned the team not to go on this trip um, very clearly. And that was quite confusing and a bit disappointing because we had plans to go up there. The next day, though, the next day, two people from Kano showed up and took the training and were able to take this back to Kano. These individuals were people that we were going to train in Kano anyway, but they had come down to where we were in the central part of the country, unsolicited. We didn't ask them. They had come down and they took the training that we were providing and they took that back up to Kano so that we didn't have to go. God provided the substitutes, which is risk transference. And this speaks to the power of prayer and devotion and staying connected to the Holy Spirit during times of trial and decision. There are some unique risks in COVID-19 in this particular pandemic. It's highly contagious, especially in groups. It might make you sick and it might actually kill you. And it might cause someone else to get sick, somebody that you're trying to hurt or trying to help, you might actually cause to get sick and none of us wanna give anybody coronavirus. There can be incredible travel restrictions. You or your team members may get stuck in another country. You may have to quarantine in another country before being let into or out of that country. You may be required to have a vaccine before entering a country or a region, and nobody knows the risks of that vaccine yet. So that's, some, that's still up in the air. And in many cultures, there are all kinds of rumors and all kinds of conspiracies surrounding COVID-19, things that, that we don't necessarily understand. Uh, in Africa, for example, 5G, the conspiracy over 5G is running rampant in many areas. Um, there are also conspiracies that whites are trying to kill blacks with COVID-19. And then there's the ever-present corruption of government officials that are using the COVID-19 pandemic to, uh, to leverage their own political uh, aspirations. And so we have to be very, very uh, aware of these things uh, as we travel. And then there are poor, there's poor access to healthcare 
in many, many countries. So if you or a member of your team gets sick with COVID-19, you may not, you may be stuck in the country and not able to leave, and you may not have access to any good health care. So as a team leader and as, uh, as you prepare for a trip, you, there are a lot of decisions that have to be made surrounding this particular pandemic, whether it's appropriate to take uh, to go yourself or to take a team member. You know, what is what is your age? Are you now uh, are you older? Are you at a high risk group? Do you have significant comorbidities? This is a very contagious disease that can easily be passed in airports and on airplanes. Um, what is the spiritual maturity and experience of an individual? Are they ready to go through what may have to happen in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic era? And what is the med what are the underlying medical conditions? This is a these are some huge questions that people um, are going to start asking as uh, are already asking as travel is opening up. But yet there are incredible opportunities and we've had some incredible opportunities that God has provided for us throughout this pandemic to minister to people all over the world. And God has blessed us to live in one of the most unique times in human history. COVID-19 has touched the entire globe and created an environment in which many people are asking huge questions, big questions, big God questions. And the church is uniquely positioned to provide incredible answers to these questions. As the world seeks comfort and stability and increasing chaos and suffering, we have a we have a golden opportunity to show the love of Christ to a broken world through education, compassion, courage, technology, and I always go back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Have we not had opportunity to mourn during this pandemic? Blessed are the meek, and blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the peacemakers. While that's not all the Beatitudes, those ones certainly stand out to me in this pandemic that we have been given a golden opportunity to be blessed in this particular situation. By being grounded in prayer and the word, and by using sound education, preparation and practice, we can impact the world for God during this unprecedented time. I wanna talk just a little bit about faith versus fear, because many people think that, that trying to understand risk is is a fear is is um, a fearful endeavor and that's not true at all that's not true at all so let's look at the story of Gideon in Judges 6 and 7 Gideon is called but he's afraid so if you're not familiar with the story of Gideon I would certainly encourage you to go read it but Gideon is called but he's afraid in fact it says that he is afraid many times in the, in the passages in Judges 6 but God provides several signs to Gideon he visits him, uh, he sends an angel to visit him, he, uh, the altar of Baal is destroyed, and he has the signs of the fleece. So through these signs, Gideon understands that he is called. And then Gideon calls his 33,000 men. About 22,000 of them are afraid and they go home. God says, if they're afraid, go home. And Gideon sends two-thirds of his army home. But 10,000 still remain. But that's still too many. That's still too many. God only wanted 300 to glory, so that he could be glorified. So even though they were willing, even though they weren't afraid, 9,700 of those people ended up going home because God himself chose these 300. Out of 33,000, only 300 were called for the specific mission. So in Gideon's story, he hears the call, but God moves the army to victory. It was not in Gideon's power that they defeated the Midianites, but rather by listening to God, God st Gideon stayed safe within God's will. 
Hearing the call and not being afraid are not necessarily the same thing. And being in God's will does not guarantee safety. However, being outside of God's will is the riskiest place to be. Risk is part of being a follower of Christ, and we're commanded to be wise, watchful, prudent, and courageous. Our risk if we do not follow God is greater than our risk if we do follow God. With that knowledge, we can move forward in wisdom and faithfulness to partner with Him wherever He leads us. And so in closing, I'd like to ask a few questions. 